0: Welcome to episode number 438 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. In this week's show, one airline is gearing up to burn off some serious fat and oil. No exercise is required. A Middle East carrier is getting rather posh, and one of the world's most iconic 747s is being retired. In the military this week, the U.S. Army finally picks the Bell V-280 to replace its fleet and Blackhawks, and the U.S. Congress allows the U.S. Air Force to dive verse into some aging A-10 warthogs. And with me... Not joining me this week is Matt Smith, he's busy, uh, he's busy sunning himself in some, um, well, he's uh, you know enjoying himself at a wine fest somewhere, but Nev, you are with me this week, aren't you?
1: I am, yes, welcome one and all, I hope everybody is well, it's uh, a bit cold out there still, uh, it was minus ten yesterday morning, uh, which was uh, not what we wanted at all, but um, warming up gradually, it's going to be a bit nicer, I think, uh, later in the weekend... But uh, what sort of week have you had, matey?
0: It's It's been a busy week, I'm not going to lie, Nev. Been, I've covered, I've, I've probably nearly beaten my record of miles covered in one week. I think I've probably pushed past 1,500 miles of driving this mm. week. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Any uh, any flying with you this week, Whitney? No, no
1: uh, which I'm pleased about, really, because it was our Christmas party uh, yesterday down on the south coast in Brighton. Yeah. Um, so, although I didn't overdo it, I've done a lot of driving in the last two days, and I'm a bit, bit tired, if I'm honest. But uh, apart from that, all good, matey. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes,
0: good. So uh, Nev, um, we've got uh, we've got loads of stuff to get through on the show this week, haven't we? But we've uh, it's uh, we've got the answers to the competition that we set last week, yes. haven't we? With the book. have you got
1: your hat at the ready to I, draw? I, out the, I've,
0: uh... I've got my hat at the ready, yeah, to draw mm. some, some names. Yeah, out well, of.
1: I've got the uh, I've got the book here, so this is what uh, what we're giving away is the prize. It's a signed copy of Nat Boys uh, by Rick Peacock Edwards and Tom Eels. It's the um, uh interview that we did what nick did for us a few weeks ago played out the yeah, last was, part and, the other day. and uh, so yeah looking forward to giving that away and i should put it in the post to the name that carlos draws out of the hat
0: <laughs> one oh, are we going to risk royal mile nev uh
1: yes <laughs> as long as no one's in a rush
0: that's all i would say exactly i know anyway anyway We've got um, loads of people joining us in the uh, in the YouTube chat room this evening. I'm going to go through the names who have joined us this evening. Uh, quite a few who are in there very early on this evening, I will say. Uh, Captain Cruz, hello to you. Lee Davies, uh, we've got uh, Mazous is in there as well. Hello to you, Mazous. Uh, Bill is in there. Uh, Masha, hello to you, Masha. Uh, Captain Cruz, Lee Davies. Jan is in there. Hello to you, Jan. Hope uh, you're keeping warm. Where you are Because it's blinking cold here Uh, Ian is in there as well Hello to you Ian Captain Ridiculous Wits Good to see you back in the chat room as well uh, This week Our man, man Micah is also in there And also Sturman Hello to you Sturman Good to see you in there this week uh, in the chat room welcome to uh, everyone who has tuned in this evening don't forget if you are listening to us as an audio show uh, don't forget to check out us on youtube such as playing talking uk uh, you'll find us on youtube click that subscribe and that bell icon uh, to be notified when we are live and doing a show just like we are now so uh the air stig is also in the chat room i notice. oh and the air stig as well hello there to he air stig how are you hope he's well. It's uh, it's safe to say, actually, Nev. Before we uh, start the commercial news, that uh, there's been quite the rush on grey mugs. Oh, is that right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> with with some people even ordering three at once. Gosh, well, I hope the production uh, department can keep up. Yeah, so do I. I I, I do as well. There's uh, there's some being sent. I I. I Saw today that Jonathan Warner has uh, sent his order through for a grey mug. So oh, hopefully excellent. they'll arrive before Christmas for our UK listeners, anyway, for those of you who ordered. But uh, Nev, do you want to introduce the first part of the show?
1: Yes. Well, of course, uh, the first part of the con- uh, show, as always, is the commercial news segment. So if uh, you've got the button ready, Carlos? Yes, I'm ready to okay. go.
0: So kicking off this week's first news story then. This comes to us from BelfastLive.co.uk and it's an airport I haven't flown from, Nev so you might have flown from here. Mm. Uh, Belfast City Airport will introduce a new airline and a new destination to its operations in 2023. Uh, So those of you in the UK living in or near Belfast, good news. Uh, German flag carrier Lufthansa, which is one of the Europe's uh, largest airlines, is entering the northern Irish market for the first time and will operate flights from belfast city airport to germany from april the 23rd next year customers in northern ireland will be able to fly to frankfurt um, the only direct air link between northern ireland and germany katie bess commercial director at belfast city airport commented attracting an airline such as lufthansa to Northern Ireland that will provide not only a route from the regional to Germany is a major win not only for the airport but for the wider tourism and business industry flights to Frankfurt with Lufthansa will operate uh, up to four times a week uh, giving both leisure and business passengers exceptional choice and convenience when travelling to the global hub this new non-stop connection will bring Northern Ireland much closer to Frankfurt and the heart of Western Europe connecting passengers uh, that will enjoy a convenient and full service connection Beyond the hub to the vast network of over 200 destinations in summer 2023. Exports from Northern Ireland to Germany between 2021 and 2022 reached over £333 million, with significant growth in the transport, metal, and meat industries. Uh, With nearly 4,000 German born residents living in Northern Ireland, wow, I didn't know that, Uh, the new route will also deliver a much needed path for visiting friends and family.
1: Uh, something which does not currently exist in Northern Ireland. What do you think about this then, Nev? Uh, brilliant news. Very good news indeed. I mean, obviously, Frankfurt is a very good hub for Lufthansa as well. So you'll be able to fly from Belfast into Frankfurt and then go more or less anywhere in the world from there. That's a, that's a really good route, actually. Um, and, um, you know, Belfast City Airport is not overly used, I have to say. I mean, it does operate some very good regional services to um, from the rest of the UK and to uh, other parts of Europe as well. But this will be, I think, a huge boost. I think it's going to be a really really good idea. Um, it's not happening until April, though, is it? So, um, yeah. But, uh, no, I think that, that's that's good stuff. And I think to be able to uh, go to a hub airport that's not Heathrow or Gatwick or Manchester, I think that'll be quite good, actually. Uh, obviously, it'll take some business away from, from those airports, but um, uh, it, it's just a more direct route as well, especially if you're flying into the heart of Europe to either go within Europe or you want to go somewhere else. So, uh, yeah, that's no, a great idea. It's a nice airport, actually, as well, Belfast City. It's... Um, uh a little bit bumpy at times at uh, this time of year with the weather being uh as it is because it's right in the middle of the uh the shipyard there um but um no it's it's a good uh, good airport and very convenient um it's just outside of the city it's got very good connect, connect uh, connectivity and what have you so uh yeah i'm guessing like they'll, you, um, they'll, they'll probably yeah. use the 320s nev on this route um yes they probably will yes you can get a 320 in and out of there just um so as long as you as captain Al would say as long as you don't pussyfoot around when you're landing <laughs> you've uh, you've got to get it down and get it stopped at that airport yeah
0: because uh, the no. towns are in all, they're all they're all there by something the uh, yes shore. they are the shore yeah. shore
1: fleet. and yeah. but they've also got a fleet of embryos embryos as well so they, they mm-hmm. might even uh use uh the one f- Uh, 190s, perhaps, or the 175s, whatever they've got. So, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, should be good. Just looking
0: at Ian, says that it'd be nice to have a transatlantic flight from Belfast. Um, They could dodge some of the taxes.
1: Well, yes, uh, that would have to come out of... um... Uh, Belfast Aldergrove the international airport to do that because the runway is just simply not long enough at City Airport to do that kind of uh, sector uh, I wouldn't have thought that would be quite tight Um, but um, no I mean it's a shame that the international airport is not used more for uh, stuff across the pond absolutely Mm. yeah
0: Now, Nev, you've got the next story, and um, when I saw this, I immediately thought this has got to be – I know we haven't got any BA stories this week, but this is a story especially for you.
1: Well, that's very nice, yes. Um, (laughs) This is on the, uh, well, several uh, websites, uh, God Save the Points being one of them. Um, It says that Emirates has secured exclusive rights to become the only airline in the world allowed to serve champagne made by Moet and Chandon, Verve Clicquot or Dom Perignon until 2024 at the very earliest. Well, in September, Emirates secured an exclusive deal with the French magnate, Luxury brand conglomerate LVMH, which makes the Dubai based carrier the only light airline in the sky with the right to serve Verve, Moe, or Dom Perignon until 2024. A month later, Singapore Airlines announced that it was being forced to drop Dom Perignon from its own champagne lineup. And although Singapore Airlines didn't say, uh, why? It soon became apparent that the reason was that Emirates had secured exclusive rights. At uh, 2003, Dom Perignon P2 is served in first class across the entire Emirates route network, whilst Veuve Clicquot is a business-class champagne served on routes to the Americas, UK and Europe. Uh, meanwhile, Moet um, Achand- & Chandon is reserved as a business-class champagne on flights to Africa, the Middle East, and the Asia-Pacific region, which includes Australia and New Zealand. Economy-class passengers can also purchase a smaller bottle of Moet & Chandon champagne, and there's a Moet & Chandon champagne lounge in the airline's sprawling business-class lounge at its Dubai hub. Having secured exclusive rights for the next two years, Emirates says that Moet & Chandon has been available on board for more than 30 years, almost the lifespan of the airline itself. Now, I didn't know, actually, that um, the providers of this uh, champagne or or anything, actually, had uh, exclusive arrangements with certain airlines. It just didn't even cross my mind that that was a thing. Um, But uh, if you can just imagine that um, a 2012 Dom Perignon uh, (laughs) retails for around $250 per bottle and 2003 Dom Perignon P2... Retails for well over $400 a bottle, and that's, if you can even find it, because it's quite rare. I'm speaking as though I I drink this stuff all the time, but um, luckily our excellent researcher, John, has been helping us out (laughs) with some of those figures there. Um, But uh, did you know that, Carlos, that that there was exclusivity to be had on... um Various types of drink. On do,
0: you, do you know what I, I didn't never I, I, Obviously, no. I've, I've flown with flown with you a few times with BA, obviously in the old biz class. But um, hmm. I don't think we had any champagne at that time. Although, if if we would have known that that would have been our last flight on a seven four seven back oh. in Dubai, yeah. I think
1: we'd have probably have um, at least opted for a glass. If only I'd thought to have clicked my fingers, you know, and said, "Any chance of any Dom Pérignon P two 2003 I, I don't know I just just didn't think
0: about it oh, I know the back back in those days that was such a good time that was Nev next yes. story uh comes to us from it's come from us from the Flight Global actually and uh, this is quite interesting. It's come out this week. Uh, Virgin Atlantic um are going to carry out a pioneering net zero transatlantic flight. Now Virgin Atlantic is to conduct the transatlantic flight next year using a Boeing seven eight seven powered solely by sustainable fuel under a UK government funded initiative the aircraft will operate from London Heathrow to New York JFK a service which the government is billing as the world's first net zero transatlantic flight Uh, version 787 will be a rolls-royce trent 1000 equipped airframe the engine manufacturer is part of a consortium associated with the flight along with boeing pratt and whitney canada and a number of universities and institutes the flight will use sustainable fuel sourced mainly from waste oils and fats with the net zero target achieved by supplementary use of biochar credits uh, biochar is a carbon ash material which can be used for carbon capture. The challenge recognises critical roles, they said, with sustainable fuel that has to play in decarbonising aviation and the urgent collection, uh, collective action needed to scale production, says Versions Atlantic's chief, Shai Weiss. Uh, the research and results will be a huge step in fast-tracking sustainable fuel across the aviation industry. The aircraft are currently uh, certified to use a maximum blend of conventional and sustainable fuel fuel for the 787 flight will however be entirely sustainable demonstrating the potential for decarbonising long haul sectors Rolls-Royce head of sustainability Rachel Everard said the company aims to have proven that its entire Trent and business jet engine lines can be flown with 100% sustainable fuel by the end of next year. The government intends to bring in a mandate requiring at least 10% of jet fuel to contain the sustainable resources by 2030. Virgin Atlantic's consortium for the next net zero flight includes Imperial College London, the University of Sheffield and the Rocky Mountain Institute and ICF. What do you think, Nev? bit of green growing on here
1: well it's it's all the thing isn't it uh boxes have to be ticked and this is um i mean you know i think the aviation industry generally has been trying to probably harden some of the you know some of the other industries to uh get uh, more sustainable operations I and mean, they've already got a lot quieter operations now in terms of the uh the high bypass jets and the next generation engines and this is just a, another step forward isn't it uh, to try and making the whole thing a bit more sustainable. Um, and it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? it? It takes the amount of fuel that it does to get from one to another, one place to another. But, of course, with the 787s, A350s, uh, the 737 um, Maxes, I mean, the, the the fuel saving on these aircraft now compared to just perhaps 10 or 15 years ago, it's really substantial. So I, I think that, you know, this is obviously the next stage and all the manufacturers are working really hard to try and find, uh, you know, improved uh, solutions in terms of the sust- uh, sustainability of it.
0: I don't know how much you know about this, Nev, but I'm just wondering to myself, is this a, is this a case of that the, the tanks, the fuel tanks, will just be totally filled with
1: fat and oil? I, I don't think that's quite what they're saying here. Um I think what Rolls Royce is saying is that it, uh, the um, the Trent series of engines can be will be able to be flown with one hundred percent sustainable fuel by the end of next year. Now it's obviously a question of how they are doing that, and there's probably a lot, awful lot of um, stuff that's not mentioned in that in that press release about what, how they're going to uh, go about it, mm. um, but. I don't think we'll be flying with uh, just fat and oil uh, for some time. <laughs> Although maybe, hopefully, the, the weight I can shed um, in the new year may, may contribute to that, perhaps. And that actually may make it more sustainable anyway, because I will be not weighing as much, hopefully. Another New Year's resolution.
0: I, I just have I just have visions nev of of um you know going to Heathrow for a flight or standing on a flight line somewhere and just having that that glorious smell of
1: you know fish and chips or sausage <laughs> and chips. But. Well, I wouldn't mind that. I must say, mm. although at uh, you know six thirty in the morning, is that.
0: A good <laughs> thing, really? Now, Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, it's about one of our favourite aircraft, and uh, hopefully there'll be a replacement one day.
1: Yeah, well, this is on flightglobal.com. Um, and it says that United Airlines faces an imperfect fleet trade-off in the coming years due to the lack of new production aircraft with capabilities comparable to the airline's ageing Boeing 757-300s. Uh, that's according to the carrier's commercial uh, uh, chief commercial officer, Andrew Nosella, who says market conditions have forced United to plan to replace its 757s with 737 MAX 10s and Airbus 321 Neos. The carrier said it will retire its 757 uh, sevens during this decade. That's not a trade we're excited to make," uh, he said on the 13th of December. He spoke in uh, North uh, Charleston, South Carolina, after an event marking United's order for another 10737 Maxes and 10787s. Uh, Nocella says that those jets will enable United to embark on significant further expansion. Last month, Boeing made it clear it will not develop a new narrow-body aircraft anytime. Soon, And the news came after Boeing had been studying designs that included a 757 replacement, known in the industry as the new mid-market airplane. Some airline executives have been urging Boeing to develop the jet, saying that the other replacement options, which is, as mentioned before, the A321 NEOs and 737 MAX 10s, lack the 757's capabilities. There is nothing coming, says United's Nosilla. The airline operates thirty-two seven-five-seven two-hundreds and twenty-one seven-five-seven three-hundreds. Uh, he also previously said that the 757-300s uh, in particular have performance characteristics unmatched by the new generation aircraft. The type has range exceeding 3,000 nautical miles and in United's configuration carries 234 seats. The smaller 757-200 has more range but fewer seats, so 169 and 176 in United to 2 configurations, according to its website. Uh, the Boeing 737 MAX 10 has 3,300 nautical miles of range and can, t- uh, can carry 188 to 204 passengers. A321 NEOs carry about 190 passengers, and Airbus says its in-development A321XLR variant will have 4,700 nautical miles miles of range. Nocella also discussed uh, United's plan to retire the Bombardier CRJ-200s and Embraer 145s in the coming years, but uh, like those 757s, those types also lack new-build replacements. But Nocella said airport constraints, not lack of replacements, will make 50-seat aircraft largely unfeasible after 2030. For a hub like Newark or San Francisco or Chicago, it seems difficult to imagine, he said. There's just not enough gates and runways being built in our country, particularly in those very congested hubs. Exceptions do exist, and Norsella expects United will, for a very long time, fly some ERJ-145s on government-subsidised routes. Also, United have, has enough space at its Houston and Denver hubs to accommodate smaller aircraft, he notes. United's partners uh, currently operate up to uh, 130 CRJ200s and 60 Embraer 145s under the United Express banner. Uh, Nocella does not, however, expect that retiring 50-seat jets will force United to cut many cities from its network, saying that the airline will p- replace the regional jets with larger aircraft like the E-16 seven fives and seven three sevens maybe there's one or two more to go he said but uh, for the most part the cities we serve in 2026 and 2030 are in fact the cities we serve today well um that's a shame isn't it because we all like a 757 yeah um, i'm surprised now all this
0: time because obviously i think the the competitor size aircraft from airbus were probably the 321 I think you mm. could agree. Yeah. And I think Boeing brought the max I think it's the Max, is the max ten comparable to the carrying I think it is the max ten. Either the max nine or the max ten is the same a similar carrying capacity to the seven five. But there just has never been Boeing has never well, there's nothing ever. but and there's nothing ever come out from a manufacturer to
1: compete no, with what a Boeing said, 7.5 was. Yeah, I, Matt doesn't want to hear this, obviously, because it's not his favourite aircraft. Mm. But um, isn't the... I mean, the 7.5.7 was such a um, versatile aircraft. Mm. You know, in its ETOPS configuration, uh, it could do the North Atlantic routes. Uh, in the domestic configurations, it did very well uh, in the UK for British Airways, sh- serving the shuttle routes. Um, and... You know, actually quite a decent range as, as well. Um, so, uh, basically, United saying that they, they don't have a real direct replacement for it. Although I do note, actually, I was surprised to hear this, uh, or to read this, that the uh, A321XLR variant has got a range of 4,700 nautical miles, which is very good indeed, isn't it? So, mm. again, all down to the new, uh, the new engines and some more uh, better aero performance, I presume, as well, from the aircraft.
0: Uh, Cat ridiculous wits in the chat room says just let's just bring uh, jumbo jets back and make them zero emissions powered by chicken grease corn oil this way we don't need any small planes yes yeah, so I see that also Bill in the chat room uh, says uh, they need a Max ten XLR there you go yeah that's a that's a good one actually yeah um, Lee Davis first plane that he flew on was a seven five seven and one of one of my most memorable experiences and when i get around to it one day i will get the vhs cassette out of the loft and convert it to digital but one of my biggest memories of flying on the 75 was jump seat on an air 2000 757 coming into gatwick at night and i will hope i'm going to try and get that video down out of the um out of the loft at some point in at Mm. home and try and find someone who can convert that to uh to digital um hopefully but that was a fantastic experience on there um and obviously BA used to fly the 75
1: as well very much so. On on the shuttle routes, um, uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Belfast, um, Manchester, and also they uh, ran them occasionally to places like Copenhagen and Stockholm as well. I'm sure I've been on a 757... 757- to either one of those cities in, in the past, back in the day, but uh, they were a very popular aircraft um, for for the shuttle routes, uh, definitely the, the domestic ones. But as I said, in the E-tops configuration, which BA never flew them as E-tops aircraft, but they did with the seven six. Um, but yeah, of course, you know it, it can go across the pond, as Matt. Uh, Will tell <laughs> us, won't he? Like like Micah, Micah says in the chat room, when Matt had that
0: flight in the seven five, he was he was feeling ill, and I think it wasn't a, the best experience to have when you're ill, um, especially when you're doing a long haul flight across the pond on the seven five. But
1: the only disadvantage for me, I don't know whether it's just my ears and the way they work, but every single time I descended from um, the the cruising flight level. Um, I really had problems in clearing my ears on a 757, and on a couple of occasions I couldn't clear them at all, and my ears were blocked for two days. In fact, it wasn't until I went back up in the air and the aircraft was repressurised, you know, a couple of days later, that I actually got my hearing back properly. But I've always had a problem on... It's only been on BA75s, I have to say, uh, where I don't know whether the the way the pressurisation works... Is slightly different, perhaps, or is a bit, a bit hasty. But certainly, I've always had problems clearing my ears properly uh, when descending uh, in a seven five seven. I mean, that said, I'll take that any day because of the those lovely Rolls Royce engines and the sound that they make when you take off. A, a seriously overpowered aircraft uh, that is. Yeah. But uh,
0: but definitely a winner for Boeing. They done uh, they done well out of the seven Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, next story is uh, coming to us from the airlineratings.com. Nice video with this one, Niv, actually. And the headline, landing a Boeing 747 blind in fog and snow. Uh, so Boeing a, a 747 captain Christian van Heist has taken a stunning video of an automatic landing in blinding fog and snow. And uh, Christian takes up the story. He says, uh, latest weather, he said, update, recent snowfall. Clouds were reported scattered at 200 feet and broken at 300 feet. Visibility 2,000 metres. Not quite alarming yet, he said, but it calls for a Cat 3 landing anyway. He says, said goodbye to the stars a few minutes ago and descending through the clouds. Instruments telling me we're still heading towards the runway. My speed, altitude as predicted. Speed brake armed. Landing gear down. ...and flaps 30. The mist ahead seems to brighten up more and more... ...then suddenly a line of glowing dots appears in the middle... ...and straight ahead approach lights in sight. And we continue towards the runway. The runway looks like a giant glowing Christmas tree, he says. And um, I am just going to pop that video on, actually. And so comes Santa's four-engine sleigh... ...safely down to the ground... ...delivering another load of pe- uh, presents and goods... So for these of you watching the YouTube feed, you'll see the video. john jester would make of that nev
1: <laughs> oh well yes absolutely um but um just so shows, shows you that the decision height's what 50 feet i think there uh, even though they had the um the approach lights in in view before that but uh, yeah impressive stuff isn't it and um yeah i mean uh, automatic landings um you know in large commercial jets uh boy, well, in any form of aircraft actually are very impressive aren't they um and uh, that was another good example of one hmm. um, and um yeah it certainly enables as we all know uh, aircraft to get in and out of of airports that were previously just just not possible to do as long as the crew are fully qualified and the aircraft is certified and the uh, runway and the airport is certified to do so as well of course uh, but uh, yeah, impressive.
0: If you want to uh, follow him, he's on that uh, YouTube and uh, on Instagram actually as well. You can follow him on Instagram at JPC Van Heist. That's uh, JPC Van H E I J S T. He's got some great videos on Instagram if you follow him. Uh, I've started following him this week on there. So, Nev, over to you for the next story. And uh, this is one of those aircraft you know Nev, where you know you've got the bucket list of aircraft that you'd love to go up and see i would love to see this aircraft
1: up close yeah this is interesting isn't it this is on, on the um aeroexplorer.com uh it says that nasa has used a specially modified boeing 747 sp for scientific research since 2014 uh, the stratospheric observatory for infrared Astronomy program or SOFIA has used this former Pan American Airways bird for hundreds of missions since its arrival at NASA eight years ago. SOFIA's purpose was as an airborne telescope, enabling astronomers to study the solar system with just one percent of the Earth's infrared blocking atmosphere. Cruising at 38,000 feet to 45,000 feet, it soared above. of this atmosphere, making it far more ideal than a ground-based telescope. The SOFIA mission has a powerful potential to inspire, from its discoveries about the unknown in our universe, to the engineering achievements that broke new ground, to the international cooperation that made it all possible, says Paul Hertz, Senior Advisor for the Scientific Mission Directorate at NASA headquarters in Washington DC. With this legendary aircraft living such a fulfilling life. It is no surprise that so many people want to share the 747SP's legacy with generations to come. Uh, The best way to do that is by giving the aircraft to a museum. So the Pima Air and Space Museum in Tucson, Arizona, will be a fantastic home for the science bird. From generation to generation, this aircraft will spread light and share history on one of the most compelling programmes of the 21st century. Uh, To determine a new home for the plane after the end of the mission, NASA followed regulations for the disposition of excess Government equipment. Pima, one of the world's largest aerospace museums, is developing plans for when and how the SOFIA aircraft will eventually be on display to the public, read a press release from NASA on Thursday. Pima Air and Space Museum is one of the largest air museums with a vast variety of aircraft, one of which will soon be the SOFIA. Along with six hangars, 80 acres of outdoor display grounds and more than 425 aircraft from around the world, Pima also has its own restoration facility where incoming aircraft like Sofia are prepared for, for museum immortalization after their arrival, read the pl- uh, press release from NASA. Sofia took off for the last time on uh, December the 13th, just gone, uh, to set sail to a new home and final resting place for the aircraft. Although this marks the end of an era... It's also opened up the door to a new one by a- enabling people from around the world to experience the beauty up close. So, some specs on the airframe itself. Um, it was uh, manufactured as serial number 21441, and the registration was November 747, November Alpha. Uh, it was a 747 SP21, and its first flight it's on the 25th of April 1977, which makes it just over 45 and a half years old. And it's got four Pratt & Whitney JT9D 7A engines. And um, it was used by uh, Pan Am uh, from its delivery date up until 1986 when uh, United Airlines started flying it. And then from 1997 it was uh, used by NASA. So um, I still think the um, 747SP looks uh, just out of proportion, don't you think? You know, to actually see, see one... Uh, well, I've, ne- I've actually I've only ever seen one in the flesh, I think, once at Heathrow many years ago, but there's just so... I don't know how many are flying now, but it's just such a rare aircraft to see. Um, but it just looks a bit odd, don't you think?
0: Yeah, if, if you... Um if you remember, Nev, Lockheed done the same with the TriStar when they made the 500 series, the Dash 500, Yeah, and they got the the original TriStar and chopped a huge um, piece off the back and shortened the fuselage to make the 500 series, which was used by Pan Am and BA, and that looked strange. If you saw that you know on the on the uh on the you know on the tarmac it would look completely strange compared to a standard normal you know dash 200 or a 300
1: series tristar but um yeah the, the sp the three are still flying according to john uh he says that there are um yes the three still in, in current service oh. yeah yeah
0: never saw a lot of these i think never, we were um used as um vip um transports weren't they, they, were, the weren't the they? SPs. Yes. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, moving on to the next story, and uh, this one, this, here we go. This is coming to us from Flight Radar 24, and uh, this is all about the A321 XLR. They're doing a 13 hour test flight. Um, Airbus uh, took up its prototype A321 XLR on a 13 hour test flight this week, covering nine separate countries and drawing a large XLR in the sky over the Bay of Biscay. While the flight and special sky art was exciting to follow on flight radio 24 the crew were busy monitoring the aircraft systems for this flight in particular. Uh, the pilots and flight test engineers were checking the unique modifications to the A321's fuel system performed as it should during the extended flight, and to further extend the range of the A321 um, from the uh, A321LR's 7,400 kilometers to 8,700 kilometers for the A321XLR. Airbus added a permanent rear centre fuel tank integrated directly into the fuselage Uh, It's this range that truly sets the XLR in rare air bringing single aisle uh, (laughs) economics uh, to routes that were previously only serviceable wide-bodied aircraft like the 330s or 787s as lead flight test engineer Jim Force explained, the four fuel tanks they have made some modifications on the aircraft, and it was important to check those were working correctly over the full weight envelope of the aircraft. going to pop some pictures on for those of you watching the world of uh, YouTube here uh, of these. Here we go. Uh, to accomplish a test, the A321XLR was fueled to maximum capacity and flown all the way down to the minimum allowable fuel level before landing. Uh, this gave the... This gave the... Um, oh, I've lost my place here. This gave the team... Uh, Plenty of time and more than thirteen hours in the air to study the fuel system he reported all the transfers worked correctly, and all of the indications to the crew were good during the flight. All of the transfer rates were normal, and so it was very important for us to perform a flight with the aircraft in addition to testing the actual operation of the fuel system. Uh, Over such long, flight engineers were validating the thermal model of the system within the A321XLR. The air at cruising speed altitude is very cold, he said, regularly reaching temperatures of 60, minus 60 degrees, blimey, uh, or less. That affects the temperature of the aircraft and the fuel inside, he said. Ensuring the aircraft systems are designed to keep the fuel above critical temperatures is currently operating its important steps towards certification. Uh, With a 13-hour flight test, there's room for other activities, and Airbus took advantage of the time in the air to do a little skywriting. 19 minutes into the flight, the aircraft flew over the Bay of Biscay and drew a 500-kilometre-wide, 150-kilometres-tall XLR in the sky. Impressively, and unlike nearly all other pieces of sky art created by large transport aircraft, uh, the Airbus pilots flew the entire drawing by hand. The entire XLR logo just took over three hours to complete at 27,000 feet. <sighs> Blimey. For this test, the Airbus decided not to use the A321 XLR's ADSB transponder. Instead, it broadcasts only in Mode S mode. And uh, the MODEST transponder, as some customers may not opt to include ADS-B when they take delivery. Uh, force says the long flight using mode s only validates that the aircraft still works correctly and is well integrated into the air traffic control system so what's next for the airbus a321xlr flight test program well the a321xlr is currently expected to enter service in 2024 ahead of certification in late 23 uh, or early 24 and the flight test aircraft will have full scheduled system of checks and in early 2023 airbus will send the a321xlr for cold weather testing which will be the aircrafts first intercontinental
1: flight so what do you think about the uh, the xlr nice. nev nice well as i say i'm still i'm loving the you know the whole range business and the low fuel burn and all the rest of it um I'm still a little bit skeptical about single aisle aircraft on very long flights and but I'm sure the crew have got it all worked out so I will need to experience this for myself I think um so maybe I could try a seventy seven max uh, or um, something like that I think um uh, JetBlue was staying in our hotel well, not obviously not the whole company but uh, a crew uh, that have flown into gatwick were staying in our hotel um in brighton uh, this morning um and so i i think that single aisle aircraft across the pond will be very interesting but i think i need to I try it out for myself so mm. if anyone is in the mood for a, a ticket that they could just send Nev send an email, podcast yeah. at
0: plaintalkinguk.com. Yeah.
1: So I'm going to have to go, I'm going through the full range. So I'm obviously taking, well, not obviously, but I am taking an A380 for the first time oh, to yeah, Dallas in February and then coming back on a 787 9, I think, from Portland. The other Portland, Micah. Um, and then, so that'll give me sort of a really good experience of, of those two types of aircraft. Then I think I will have to try and find a, a reason or an excuse, um, to take a single aisle aircraft. But I, I think this is very interesting. And Airbus have done a lot of work on this, um, to, to get the, the range out of it uh, and, and all the rest of it. So it's going to be impressive. No, no two ways about it. I know Captain Owl is a big fan of this as well um so um let's see how they get on with the certification um and they're talking about just over a year so yeah in 2024 is what they're talking about isn't it to uh, to get it into service
0: micah makes a good point there actually nev um berry he said bear in mind the 707 and the dc8 were a single aisle aircraft that flew all over the world for years that is
1: yeah fair point. Uh, it's a reasonable point and captain Cruz also says uh, concord was uh, only single aisle uh, this is true, but there was only a hundred passengers, and it got there quicker <laughs> and it was only two by two wasn't it so, uh nonetheless um i'm prepared to give it a go who's your um your three eighty trip with next year, Ned? uh that is with b a obviously um from London Heathrow to dallas fort Worth mm. Then I've got uh, a couple of days or a few days in Dallas uh, working with our company. And then I've got an American Airlines A321 from uh, Dallas to Portland, PDX, Oregon. I was a bit shocked how, you know, when, you've, when you're flying, especially in the US, you, you just lose all perspective, or I do anyway, of how uh, far things are. And I thought i'll just take a guess at what the flight time might be between dallas and portland and i thought oh it's two and a half hours oh, two and a half yeah yeah oh no four hours 20 minutes what yes um <laughs> so that's that's a flight uh, yeah. that's a flight down to tenerife it is it is so it's interesting isn't it um and then coming back mm. uh, on a 787-9 with ba on the dreamliner from Portland to Heathrow because they've got a direct service now, which is nice. So, yeah, oh, I shall have to do a Nev's passenger experience, experience. Won't I? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah,
0: um, next one for you, Nev, and uh, about an aircraft that, um, well, it's going the way of the 74, I think.
1: Well, it is, and it's the, the same old story, isn't it? Trying to get the, the four engine aircraft out of the air, um, for economy and fuel saving reasons it says on flightglobal.com that lufthansa group carrier swiss international airlines will take five airbus a350 900 aircraft into its fleet from 2025 which will replace its aging a340 300 fleet on long-haul routes. Uh, the Zurich-based carrier said on the 12th of December that the new aircraft will help Swiss substantially further improve its carbon emission credentials. We're very pleased to have achieved our turnaround after the coronavirus crisis and be back on a sound financial track, said Swiss Chief Executive Dieter Vranks. Uh, With this planned substantial modernization of our long-haul aircraft fleet, we are setting a vital course to su- sustainability and to maintain our competitive edge over the long term. The five aircraft are part of an order of 25 A350-900s, placed by parent company Lufthansa Group in 2019, Swiss says. Our decision to acquire these aircraft is a clear commitment to further enhancing our sustainability of our flight operations ranks, added. Our new long-haul twin jet will play a substantial part in achieving our ambitious climate goals. According to Assyrian Fleet's data, the airline currently operates 12 Boeing 777s, 11 A a330s and four a340s for its long haul operations so with the a340 coming out of service now that that is going to be the, the last of multi-engine aircraft greater than two engines isn't it yeah with the
0: 340s obviously there. there's not many 300s around now um no. the uh, obviously, the 600 was a more popular version, as Captain Nick would, um, would tell you, but uh, I didn't realise that, that Swiss was still operating the Dash 300s, Nev.
1: Yes, um, and uh, I've never... Actually, I'm just trying to think, I've never been on an A340. Neither, have, neither have I. I thought I neither might have, have gone I. on a Virgin once, or... Who else operated the 340 that I might have gone on? I can't remember, but... Um... Anyway, so, yeah, the likelihood of me getting on A340 now is uh, nil, I would imagine. So, mm. yeah, there we go. It's a shame. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's a fantastic aircraft to see, especially the 600. When you see those 600s parked up, Nev, it, it's, like, it's almost like they're like 16 miles long the uh, dash 600s
1: they are aren't they yes yeah mm. um so uh, but um, yeah i think it's um interesting um so uh, and the a350 900 of course great aircraft i've flown on several uh from with thin air uh, to helsinki um uh, which is uh, it's just such comfortable it's so quiet um well you know what the three hundred and fifty one thousand was like carlos when we mm. went to the dubai air show that was impressive wasn't it With the ba folks so uh, yeah very nice Actually,
0: John, as uh, John's just said in our production uh, chat group here, John's just saying that the 300 was by far the most popular version of the A340, 218 produced, uh, versus 97 produced of the Dash 600 version. Didn't realise that, Nev.
1: No, um, and I remember Captain Nick saying he was never a great fan uh, of the A three forty three hundred. But when uh, Virgin took on the Dash six hundred, he said that was a far more grown up aircraft with a, a far more, you know, uh, engine power and, mm. and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, uh, but um, no, there will not be those uh, that many flying at this rate. Yeah,
0: so moving on to the next story and flight global this one comes from for this and uh, i mean boeing must have thought they'd well won the lottery this week um united airlines hands over an order to boeing for 100 787 dreamliners and 100 737 max aircraft so united airlines this week has ordered 100 Boeing 787s and taken options to purchase 100 more in what it calls the largest ever wide-body order by a US carrier. In addition to the Chicago headquartered airline, it said on the 13th of December it had ordered another 100 737 MAX aircraft. uh, That comprises of the conversion of 44 options to be delivered between 2024 and 2026. Uh, 56 additional orders for delivery between 2027 and 2028. The orders are driven by United's aspiration to be the world's leading global airline and the flag carrier of the US, says Chief Executive Scott Kirby. The carrier expects to receive the new Dreamliners between 2024 and 2032. Including other types aircraft types, the airline expects to take delivery of around uh, about 700 new aircraft by the end of 2032. Uh, in 2023, that will average out to two weekly um, which will uh, depart from... Well, uh, weekly, which will uh, be more than three every week, uh, United says. Uh, the 787s seven, will replace uh, United's ageing 767s, seven, which will depart from its... United now operates 65787 seven um 38 uh, 787-9s and sixteen seven-eight-seven dash 10s it did not provide a breakdown of the new order by variant United also still has orders for 45 Airbus A350s Executives say that the order remains unchanged, but the airline has agreed with Airbus to push back deliveries of these jets for several years. Uh, Lederman says the first of these will not arrive until 2030 at the earliest. The 787 and the A350 are both great aircraft, Kirby says, but we already have a large base of 787s. And in this world where we are trying to bring on 200 or 2,500 pilots per year and grow the airline, introducing a new fleet type slows that down dramatically. The right time for the three hundred and fifty conver- uh, conversation versus the seven hundred and eighty-seven conversation is when we're replacing the bulk of the triple sevens, which is not until the end of the decade, he says. So, obviously, this is um,
1: good news for Boeing. But Christ, no, they're not. They can't keep up now. Well, I know. Um, it's. I tell you what, it's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, 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 these orders are coming in thick and fast. For the new generation aircraft, the seven eight sevens and the seven three seven maxes, um, but they're, they're going to have to go some to, to, to produce uh, these aircraft. Um, and of course, inevitably, there's always a lag and a considerable one between actually getting the purchase order and you know and delivering the aircraft. But um, this is this is they're really going to have to go some to deliver these, I think, by 27 and 28 is what they're they're talking about in the article there. Um, interesting that I didn't realise that United also had orders for uh, 45 Airbus A350s as well um so um that's and they're talking about just pushing that back a little bit now until 2030 well i didn't didn't actually realize that um so but um no i mean i think inevitably that they have to with with the cost of fuel and maintenance generally they've just got to start getting the you know the older aircraft out now uh, the seven sixes and, and and the triple sevens, which as uh, they said in the article, that in, in some cases they will be thirty years old by the time that they uh, they finish. So, um, but having said all that, it's
0: good news for the industry, isn't it? Hmm. Very much so. Nev, It wouldn't surprise me if these uh, the old seven sixes they retire, Nev, and and the triple sevens um, hmm. end up being uh,
1: BCFs,
0: turning you know, turning into uh, Boeing converted
1: freighters yeah no, absolutely Hmm. but uh, no good news though and well it's it means jobs for everybody that's the most important thing at the moment um you know that the airlines are wanting to invest and and wanting to get back to the situation they were in 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 late 2019 you know because with the the hiatus on uh, aviation because of the pandemic as we keep saying so it's good to good to see some more manufacturing and engineering going on now nev who's got the next story well, I, I hope it, somebody else has, because, well, he's not here, is he? Um, but I think Armando might be offering us some uh, some input here, which he doesn't normally do in the commercial news section, does he? He doesn't normally send in uh, stuff here. But he has his time. He has, yeah.
2: And this story is something that uh, not only have we been covering, but I think we're going to be covering for the next couple of years. This is really, as we've said on the show, the next evolution of Flight, which is commercial supersonic aircraft. Now, Boom Supersonic, which is the leading company in this, um, this story is from simpleflying.com. This company is making the next supersonic aircraft, and it's really the the furthest ahead. The aircraft is called the Overture. It's finally secured an engine maker to deliver some power plants for the aircraft. In fact, it has actually secured a consortium of three although none of them are really well-known in the commercial aviation space. But announced uh, this week at the Greensboro uh, production site, which is actually just up the street, about 45 minutes, um, it is the home, the home of its future manufacturing facilities. Boom revealed some plans to work with Florida Turbine Technologies, Standard Aero and GE Additive, a unit of GE Aerospace, to develop that the engines that it needs for the overture. Uh, the engine being developed now has been dubbed the Symphony, it's described by the company as a new propulsion system designed and optimized for specifically the Overture. Um, now, Boom had actually faced being shut out by many of the world's largest engine manufacturers with the likes of Pratt & Whitney, Rolls-Royce, GE Aviation, Honeywell, and Safran all saying publicly that they had no interest in developing engines for the supersonic jet. Nevertheless, Boom maintained that it would find and announce an engine maker before the end of 2022, and this week it did deliver on that promise. Now, these engine manufacturers, um, it's not Rolls-Royce, it's not Pratt-Whitney, but they do have a strong track record in propulsion technologies. Uh, Florida Turbine Technologies, or FTT, is based in Jupiter, Florida, and actually has offices all over the world. It's been around since 1988 as an engineering services firm, but actually it involved it evolved into a turbo machinery designer and manufacturer, specializing in manufacturing and developing gas turbines for both military and commercial applications. Now, the company was bought out in March of 2019 by California-based Kratos uh, Defense and Security Solutions. At the time, Kratos uh, CEO Eric DeMarco noted that the acquisition was part of Kratos's goal to develop an advanced, affordable engine for a new class of hypersonic propulsion system the arm of Kratos that uh, ftt occupies so far has been working on high performance jet engines for cruise missiles and unmanned aerial systems so although the overture project will be a new venture for the company it is not exactly uh, going into unknown territory standard aero one of the, the the second manufacturer has a legacy dating back all the way to 1911 when it was founded as standard machine works in manitoba canada it began life repairing, overhauling, and rebuilding engines for cars, trucks, and tractors. 1930s, it was actually transformed into an aero engine division and began rebuilding piston power plants. Subsequently, becoming authorized maintenance repair um, providers for Pratt and Whitney, De Havilland, and some other organizations. It actually beh- began overhauling turbine engines in 1960 and has grown from there into a pretty big company. Now at the present, Standard Aero doesn't make its own engines, but it does work on MRO for business, commercial, and military aviation. The firm is approved to provide services for CFM International, Rolls-Royce, Safran, Pratt Whitney, many other uh, engine manufacturers, including some rotor, uh, some rotorcraft. Now the third partner in this GE Additive is a metal additive manufacturing company, and a subsidiary of GE Aviation. Uh, metal additive manufacturing, also known as metal 3D printing is using a heat source such as a laser or electron beam uh, to heat metal into a uh, wire form of, of sorts, and the, the molten metal is then formed into an object, just like you've seen in the videos of 3D printing. Now, this sort of process offers exemplary design freedom with improved efficiency, most importantly for boom, to increase the speed to market for stronger and lighter parts. Now, so far, the specifications for the engine... Um, The architecture is a twin-spool, medium-bypass turbofan engine with no afterburner, 35,000 pounds of thrust at takeoff, uh, optimized for 100% sustainable aviation fuel, a single-stage fan designed for quiet operation, passively cooled high-pressure turbine, um, and and an additive manufacturing for low weight, low part counts, and reduced assembly costs. And, of course, certification has to be certified with the FAA and EASA Part 33. Uh, requirements so along this we know that there are now going to be four uh, original concept designs for the overture pegged it as a twin jet um, now then later it became a trijet. Uh, most recent and final iteration of the design has an airplane as a four engine quad jet i guess two pod engines under each wing will be tasked with propelling the aircraft across the world at supersonic speeds um, and that is all from statements from boom supersonic now, one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is as this development happens and the company begins to begin to build their manufacturing facility just up the street, I am hoping to get a sneak peek at the Boom Overture and the Symphony Engine, and maybe we can even get an exclusive interview.
0: Oh, thanks for that, Armando. As always, sterling work. With uh, great audio and visuals, but yes. um, Nev, I do. You know, I think they should well, just they should just bring back,
1: um, you know, bring back Concord. You're you're gonna hate Dig me for saying out. this. Go on. you're gonna hate me for saying this, and everybody in the chat room is just gonna be cross. I'm not excited about this project in the slightest. Really, yeah. Nev? I've said it. Sorry, um, I, I I just. Really, just don't understand why um, w- uh, this is a thing at the moment. I, I just do not understand it. Um, it'll obviously be suitable for some people, and it will be. Well, h- how much will the tickets be? For example, how much will it cost? I mean, I know Concorde was a very expensive aircraft to, to buy tickets on and that kind of stuff, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, as time gets, as as time moves on, perhaps I will feel a little bit more excitement about it. But, um, I, I just don't know. And I, I, I'm trying to see where we are today in 2022, nearly 23, uh, the commercial benefits and the excitement by, I'm, I, I have to say I'm far more excited about, uh, the Faraday Project that Neil Cloley <laughs> and his team were doing <laughs> um, yes, and uh, that you know th- those sort of eighteen nineteen seat regional operation stuff with the uh, electric hybrid that he 's talking about with his team as we 've spoken about so many times, mm. I just find that a more interesting project now uh, uh, we have to cover everything on this show, I realize that but uh, so let's let 's see how it, how it goes, but at, at the moment, I have got um, not much excitement about this project i'm afraid <laughs> i'm sorry i think it
0: would be it would be better if if we all thought that this would be that this is, this would actually happen you know at least within our lifetime
1: but yeah like you say nev it's it's one of those don't get me wrong obviously the, the folks that are working on this project um are absolutely committed to it and and they are extremely clever people obviously I, I can't possibly compare myself to the quality of workmanship and engineering that you know these the sort of people and, and design that the, these folks are into but I, I for me it's just it is not making sense at the moment but maybe as the months and years roll on uh, maybe it will be and i should be proved wrong yet again <laughs> <laughs> now nev we've talked on this show
0: tonight about six thousand hours worth of um chat about um you know narrow bodied long haul mm. aircraft so um well, just for a change we 'll end the commercial news segment with a story about um well long haul short narrow bodied aircraft
1: yeah uh, this is on uh, virgin australia 's uh newsroom press release and also on simpleflying.com it says that Virgin Australia has capped off a huge year announcing a new international route with a daily return Cairns to Tokyo Haneda service which is going to be taking off on the 28th of June 2023 that's next year. Uh, The highly anticipated route operating for the first time is being launched in partnership with the Queensland Government and Cairns Airport through the Queensland Government's Attracting Aviation Investment Fund. When it takes off the 3,638 nautical mile route will be the world's fourth largest by max aircraft. For context, that distance is equivalent to Boston to, uh, from Boston to Barcelona. Uh, Virgin Australia will inaugurate a one daily Cairns to Tokyo Haneda service on the 28th of June. It'll be the only airline on the brand-new airport pair, although it will compete daily against a once-daily Jetstar 787-8 service to Tokyo Narita. According to AeroRoutes, Virgin's schedule will be as follows, with all times uh, local, uh, despite the MAX 8s, Cruising slower than the 787, Virgin's block time will be no more than 15 minutes longer. Um, So, from Cairns to Tokyo, Haneda, that'll be the VA77. These are local times here, uh, taking off at uh, quarter past one in the afternoon and arriving at eight o'clock in the evening. That's a seven-hour, 45-minute block time. And on the return route, Tokyo, Haneda's back to Cairns on the VA78, taking off at quarter to uh, ten in the evening. Uh, then arriving at quarter past six in the morning the following day. That's got a block time of seven hours and 30 minutes, uh, which is, you know, impressive, I have to say. So um, I wonder, well, clearly that uh, once again, that there is a market for this route, isn't there? Um, And will people prefer the 737 MAX to a 787-8? Hmm. I know what I would prefer. Again, I've not been on a seven three seven max, so no, I can't, I can't criticise it before I've been on one. <laughs> Nor have I, though,
0: Nev. To be fair, I've not been, um, I've not been on the on the max yet. Not had the chance mm. to fly any. I mean, obviously, in Europe, we've got we've Ryanair using the max now quite heavily on their routes. Um, I know Tui as well; they're using the max. Um, I don't think Tui are using it out of Norwich yet, though, on their some of their. Um, seasonal summer routes but i know that uh, two are definitely um you know using the uh the,
1: the max quite heavily but apart from that nev um airlines well, no, you could um, jump but on. also thanks to our chum uh grant mccarran from down under for bringing oh. this story to our attention as well of course Yes. cheers uh, so cheers grant yeah very kind good, a good job though. so but this is this is going to be a theme i think isn't it of these long-haul sectors especially from australia and new zealand to other parts of the world um because it's not going to be long before we see uh Qantas doing their direct london to sydney and london to melbourne routes uh that's coming up in a, a year or two's time I think. I think it's 2025 they're talking about for that mm. so um, i think this is going to be some some really interesting marketing and again with the aircraft that have the range to do this stuff um in relative comfort as well i think it's going to be a popular service
0: yeah captain cruise makes makes that good point in the chat room actually nev that uh, doesn't matter what aircraft you're in 737 max 7578 a- a350 what counts as the class you're traveling in now i on these kind of routes you know you're not you're not going to get any fans of pa- of passengers going to be fans of your airline if you're cramming them in. I think that the um, the the way forward with these Nev is more premium economy, and um yeah, better standard of economy seating.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, even with the uh, lower cabin altitude in the aircraft, which which does make this a bit more manageable i think doesn't it but if if you're crammed in in economy i think that's going to be hard work but again we need to um do some test runs i think don't we so let's see
0: let's see and uh rich adam says in the chat room nev um there's one a then there's the rest well <laughs> i didn't want to say it i'm <laughs> glad you have richard thank you <laughs> No Nev you've uh, you've going to introduce the next part of the show it's it's the fun
1: the fun part of uh, of the show each week yes and actually what started off as just a a small bit of fun has turned into quite a popular segment actually uh, we've been getting some fantastic feedback <laughs> uh, on this section um and this is the uh, caption this section of the show and uh, we put it up on our facebook page Um, and we ask you to come up with the best possible caption, and the most original and the funniest as well. Have you got got this week's one? Yes, I'll pop pop this up
0: here, Nev. Now, for the benefit of our audio listeners, Nev, what's going on
1: here? Uh, it's somebody's uh, checked luggage that's uh, been run over or <laughs> looks like it's been put into an rb211 engine engine isn't it it's uh, it's not a good look although it has survived actually i mean so, some bits are some things of clothes are falling out but yeah it's a it's a very uh yeah it's going to be one of those things where you're going to make a claim if that came off the conveyor belt you'll be going to the uh, the, the luggage claim desk Now, Dave, do you want to kick things off with the uh, first comment this week from Facebook? Yeah, Stephen says, uh, when the conveyor belt just wants the beer, you brought to the PTUK 200th episode. I can't find the picture from after, but that bag fell off and got ate by the conveyor belt. Smelt like beer. And had a huge rip yes. He had that issue, didn't he? When he came to the <laughs> 200, yes, yeah. i forgotten
0: that. Yes. Uh, Nicholas says Ryanair's new low-cost underwing
1: luggage storage is proving to be a real drag. <laughs> uh, ben says for sale, only used once. I know what I got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> John says not our John, but John says training video from Swissport Baggage Handling Training School goes viral. Oh
1: dear. Other handling companies are available. I of am. course, uh, John says Alaska Air suspends uh, trials of their replacement for sniffer dogs with sniffer bears after passenger left marmalade sandwich in their luggage. Disastrous consequences. That's uh, one of the best so far, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: James says, "Thank you for choosing Mesa Airlines for all your
1: travel needs." <laughs> Uh James says as I stepped off the airplane I looked down at my suitcase and thought to myself I made it. Just barely, but I made it. I'm never flying with Armando Carrion again. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> that's hard. <that's hot.
0: laughs>
1: I and mean, you have actually flown with him, Carlos, so you can confirm that he's I, he is a safe and decent operator. He is fantastic, he is,
0: uh, yeah. is our Armando. And does agree, sir. That's he right. does, yes, oh definitely, hundred uh, percent. Chris says, I think I can
1: get one more trip. From the old crew bag. They do. Look, I, in fact, this crew that I was... Um, I didn't get a chance to talk to them, actually, this morning, but the, the JetBlue crew that were in the hotel, they've got some pretty old crew bags. I mean, you know, come on, guys and girls. Get, you know, I'm, I'm sure the company can do slightly better than what I saw this morning. <laughs> but that—that uh, that is quite a thing, isn't it? You, that Some of the crew bags that we get to see um, from the flight deck crew are... A little bit second-hand, aren't they? So, what's Bill got, Nev? Well, Bill says, conclusive proof that the luggage's lifetime warranty did indeed have strings attached. (laughs) And uh, our good friend Dirk uh, says, at least it arrived on time. (laughs) Very good, Uh, (laughs) Dirk. steve says have you seen that Qantas video yeah we can beat that <laughs> <laughs> excellent J- james says
0: this vintage bag was lost in the great covid travel cluster of 2021 ba spokesman states it has since been returned to neville
1: bounds oh well how very true yes <laughs> yeah absolutely but um uh jason says uh, what happens when you hire wolverine as a baggage handler and uh, james says again he says uh, it's
0: not ruined it's just distressed
1: yeah yes um david says looks like you may need a new case manager
0: oh boom. True. <laughs> very true. Uh, james again well, james is getting right in with this yeah uh, the latest in fashion travel baggage torn luggage to match your torn jeans vogue
1: <laughs> yes uh jason says uh, we did warn you our new conveyor belt puppy was teething <laughs> that looks exactly like it, what's happened doesn't it no nev you can take this last one <laughs> Oh yes, Simon says uh, a non-seat one A's passenger's luggage. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> I. Don't know. But, oh uh, dear, that was, that was a really good one this oh, week. Oh, go on. What, what's, was that? Was, was, that were you, did you, was that your choice, uh, Carlos? Yeah,
0: I, that that came up on I follow many, many aviation um, sites on, on Instagram. And that came up on one of the – I think it was on one of the flight attendants um, group sort of pages on Instagram that I follow um, where that follows their travels all around different countries and stuff. And it it was a picture that, that one of them had put on there. And I thought, that's a really good picture to use for captioning this. So oh, absolutely.
1: And um, we've got a few in the chat. Oh, I'll go on, there the As always, um, let's have a look. Uh, Captain – no, let's start with um... – Micah uh, oh actually he was commenting on the, the, the things I just mentioned he said I thought those flight attendant attendants purchased high quality luggage um, Richard Adams says baggage baggage striking instead of the handlers uh, Captain Crew says those sniffer dogs for drugs are becoming more and more rampant <laughs> um, uh, Richard Adams also says uh, handle with wear good point Our main man, Micah, says, at least the guitar survived this time. Yes.
0: Mm. (laughs) Bye.
1: But, uh, no, so another top selection of uh, your uh, comments. Very original and very funny, I thought.
0: Thanks, Nev. Thanks, Nev. Right, so, Nev, uh, Armando's not here, obviously. He's not here with us, but... He has uh, sent us in some stuff for the military this week. So would
1: you like to introduce this week's yes. military segment? Yes. Uh, as always, our favourite military person, in fact, our only military person, but his knowledge is second to none of them. We, we love having him on the show. And when he's not here, we love the videos as well. So let's uh, have a look at what's happening in the military this week.
2: Now in our first story from DefenseOne.com, also from the Drive.com, it's something we've been tracking for a couple years now. The US Army has finally chosen Bell to build its new aircraft that's eventually going to replace the venerable UH-60 Blackhawk, which has been flying soldiers since the 1970s. Bell received a $232 million contract this last Monday, which is what is the first installment of what could be a 7.1 billion US dollar deal for the development and an initial batch of aircraft. Uh, Doug Bush, the Army Acquisition Chief, said in a uh, Monday evening call with reporters that it's a chance to move to the next step in this vital program. Now, it is a huge win for Bell that could be worth more than $70 billion for the Textron-owned company in the coming decades, depending on how many aircraft are actually ordered by the Army and its foreign uh, military partners. Now, for Textron, this is a generational win that rejuvenates Bell's military franchise, um, according to investors. Bell, which pitched the V-280 tilt-rotor aircraft similar to the V-22 Osprey, built the, the Sikorsky, beat the Sikorsky Boeing team that had proposed a coaxial helicopter, um, which uses two stacks of rotors that spin in opposite directions, providing a little bit more stability than traditional helicopters. Now, the tilt rotor can take off and land vertically like a helicopter, but then rotate its propellers forward, allowing it to fly at fixed-wing aircraft speeds, as we've seen with the V-22 Ospreys. Now, Bell said in an official statement that the V-280's unmatched combination of proven tilt rotor technology coupled with the innovative Digital engineering and open architecture offers the Army the, uh, an outstanding operational versatility for its vertical lift fleet. Now, the contract awarded on Monday is actually for a virtual prototype, not an actual aircraft, according to Army officials. The initial prototype could come sometime in 2025, but the Army would actually need to war- award additional contracts before that happens. Um, Army officials did tout the speed at which the award was made, saying that it has been accelerated by some four years. Over the past nine years, both bidders built and flew demonstrators of their proposals. Um, now, Bush from uh, Bell said that they had taken new, oh, sorry, uh, uh, Mr. Bush from the Army said that they had taken new authorities from Congress and they had melded them with very thoughtful, very deliberate approaches in terms of trying out things before uh, proceeding and doing them doing things in terms of the program structure that allow them to move at greater speed, than originally planned to get this capability in the hands of soldiers. Now, officials declined to give specific reasons as to why they chose Bell over Sikorsky Boeing, other than that the Bell proposal was quoted as best value. The losing companies actually have three days to request a debriefing from the Army about their decision. After that briefing, they have the option to protest the Army's decision, If they do protest, then the Government Accountability Office or the GIO would conduct a review and make a new ruling. Um, Sikorsky and Boeing said in a joint statement that they remain confident that the Defiant X design is a transformational aircraft that the U.S. Army requires um, in order to accomplish its complex missions today and well into the future, that they're going to evaluate their next steps after reviewing that feedback from the Army. Bell first unveiled the V-280 in 2013. Uh, Unlike its predecessor, the V-22, the engines at the end of its wings are fixed, uh, a move that is supposed to lower maintenance costs. The Army calls a replacement deal the Future Long Range Assault Aircraft, or FLRAA, and they uh, are expecting that to be a mix of uh, FLRAA aircraft as well as some UH UH-60 aircraft for some decades to come so final decision seems to have been made and looks like the V280 another tilt rotor has won out
0: thanks for that Armando as always great work and I'll tell you what Nev one of my favourite films I don't know whether you've seen this film it's a few years old now but um, I think it's it's I think it's been out on either Amazon Video or, or Netflix was Black Hawk Down you yes. that video
1: from years I ago? yes yeah, um, what I didn't realise was that um, just reading what uh, Armando has written here, the, the Bell first unveiled the V two hundred and eighty in twenty thirteen. Ooh. that's nearly ten years ago. Extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, but uh, yeah, uh, good uh, good win there. Oh, no. And um, whatever you think about the you know the reasons for it, it's uh, it's business and jobs for people which has to be a good thing, doesn't it? Certainly is. And
0: Armando's got uh, another story in the military this week, and uh, it's all about the F-22s.
2: This next military story is from BreakingDefense.com. In Washington, after years of fighting back, the Congress is finally allowing the U.S. Air Force to part ways with a portion of its A-10 warthog fleet, uh, approving the service's plan to retire 21 A-10s in fiscal year 2023. Now, while it's unclear whether this means that the Air Force will be successful in future attempts to send the A-10 to the boneyard, the retirement of even a portion of the Warthog fleet, in this case, the squadrons from Fort Wayne, uh, Air National Guard Base in Indiana, which will eventually get F-16s, is a massive step forward for the service. That service has been locked in a debate with Congress over the future of the ground attack plane, the A-10, for over a decade. The Fiscal Year 23 National Defense Authorization Act, which was released this week, wasn't, good, wasn't all good news for the Air Force's ambitious divestment plan, with House and Senate authorizers prohibiting the, services, uh, the service, the Air Force, from mothballing 33 of its oldest F-22 Block 20 Raptors, which we talked about a couple months ago on the show that they were uh, already wanting to do. Uh, Air Force leaders have said that those jets are not combat-capable and will cost an estimated $1.8 billion over the next eight years to operate. However, Congress's defense of the current F-22 inventory was emphatic with lawmakers, including language that prohibit aircraft divestment, along with any drop in funding for personnel and sustainment from uh, 2023 to 2026. Now, while the National Defense Authorization Act does not require the Air Force to upgrade its Block 20 F-22s, it does call for the for reports on the costs associated with upgrading those jets to Block 30-35 configuration and what does the future F-22 pilot training look like. Now, during fiscal year 2023, the Air Force planned to divest upwards of 260 aircraft across multiple fleets, including some that had been uh, previously conveyed to Congress in previous years, as we, I think, talked about just about two months ago on the show. Now, lawmakers were largely content to allow the Air Force to move forward with a majority of these proposed aircraft retirements with some strings attached for certain aircraft types. Now, the compromise um, NDAA actually allows the Air Force to lower its total uh, fighter aircraft inventory from 1,970 to 1800, which clears the way for the service to divest uh, some 26 F-16s, some 67 F-15s as requested. Um, However, House and Senate authorizers included languages that the uh, forces that the Air Force, the Air Force to provide a report on how planned F-15 divestments would actually impact current operations before they actually mock those aircraft. Now, Congress took a phased approach for the E-3 Sentry Airborne Warning and Control uh, aircraft, better known as AWACS. Um, The Air Force wanted to retire 15 of the 31 AWACS in its inventory. The MDAA or Congress only allows the service to draw down to a total aircraft inventory of 26 airplanes in fiscal year 23. But further aircraft could be retired if the Air Force meets certain criteria. Um, For instance, the service can reduce its inventory its inventory to twenty one AWACS if it submits an acquisition strategy for the E three successor, the E seven Wedgetail. Uh, if it takes further action and awards a contract to Boeing for the Wedgetail, then it can draw down to an inventory of eighteen AWACS. Also, uh, in the National Defense Authorization Act um, was the retirement of some uh, twelve. Uh, Blackhawks, um, they're being replaced by the uh, new HH-60W, the Jolly Green 2. Um, There's also some retirements for some E-8s. The uh, 50T1 Jayhawk aircraft are are being retired. Um, That's the aircraft we talked about just a few weeks ago that uh, student pilots going to uh, bomber transport and tanker pilots are going to. Those will be retired, um, and that's kind of paving the way, as we talked about two weeks ago, to uh, to just keep the T-6 Texan mm-hmm. as their primary trainer. Um, some other additional aircraft that will be divested in this in this NDAA, fiscal 23, will be 10 KC-10s and about 13 KC-135s. Um, and then we did a story a couple months ago now about the divestment of EC-130H compass call Electronic aircraft and the EC 130J Commando Solo, which we did a story about it doing its final broadcast over uh, um, an air show in Pennsylvania. So, <clears throat> this may be new to some of our listeners from around the world, but um, our our Congress, uh, the Senate and the House, actually controls our, our the entire U.S. military is civilian controlled. There are civilians as service secretaries, so the top position in each. Um, military service as a civilian, and then a, there's a very close tie between uh, Congress and, and the military. And while the military makes these proposals uh, essentially every year, um, but really uh, about every four years with a quadrennial defense review, um, Congress ha- does maintain and retain a lot of control over what the services actually do with their uh, not just aircraft but if you're talking about ground forces for the army or boats for the navy um, so um, this is just this year Then this is pretty the reason i chose the story is because it's a pretty big uh, announcement pretty big uh, retirement um, you know almost 170 aircraft being uh, retired in the year uh, 2020 in the upcoming fiscal year 2023 but we'll keep an
0: eye out thanks for that Armando fantastic work as always and i have to say for me personally i prefer the f-22 i don't know what it is i've always preferred to look at the f uh, the look of the f-22 oh. uh, i'm not a military person as you all know i but i love my commercial stuff but i just think when you look at the f-22 and the f-35 side by side the f-22 just looks i don't know better but yeah that's my that's my
1: opinion anyway mm. how about you nev uh, well, I don't really have an opinion. Uh, <laughs> I've gone military <laughs> because it's military, and therefore I am not qualified to speak on the subject. Now, this week,
0: Nev, uh, moving on with a little additional extra to the uh, to the to the military news this week, uh, Nev. There was a an incident this week, wasn't it, with
1: an F thirty five? Yeah. Uh, now, I, this could have ended badly, of course, but it does show you that the. The good old ejector seats uh, work from uh, uh, either when you're flying the aircraft or, or, or when you're on the ground, and a mm. good example of um, of how it saves somebody's life. So we'll, so, we'll uh, play that. We'll play. The, look at it.
0: Play the video now, shall we? here we go
1: so yeah so he's actually hovering down to, to landing and you think it's all going quite nicely and then suddenly just in the last sort of well actually it bounces and then it goes onto its nose breaks the front landing gear and then pivots around Little pirouette. and you think that it's all okay at that point and obviously the pilot doesn't think it's okay at that point and he decides to pull the handle and uh, ejects So, um, I was thinking a bit earlier whether he's, he was a bit premature with that, you know, he he could have stuck with it a bit longer, but of course I was not in the aircraft at the time (laughs) and he might have had a whole series of, you know, fire warnings and all sorts of things going off and you don't know how much fuel he had on board. Um, so I think he probably made the right decision. Um, and let's hope he gets a Martin Baker tie if it was a Martin Baker ejector seat. Exactly. So, Nev,
0: uh, last part of the show then before we wrap things up it's uh, it's a prize giveaway prize time we were uh, we're going to make the effort of of giving away a book um every every month or every every so often we're going to give away a book yes, every month and so. every month yeah nev's got a pile to give away and uh, this is a special one this one's been signed now nev obviously everyone's been watching this series that we've been running over the last uh, three weeks and we on the show three or four weeks on the show uh, a little bit of backstory just in case anyone's not seen it yet
1: and uh, what's it about yeah well we went down to uh, white waltham aerodrome just near to maidenhead and our good friend nick anderson as he does uh, does an excellent job of doing interviews and of course he actually flew uh, or was based at the same uh, RAF ref station as, as rick peacock edwards uh, and this is a quick still of uh, of the day in question and uh, it was very foggy there as well unfortunately so that, that some of the backdrop on the video is not not perfect but we are loving the cameras nev to a, um, uh, a, a real, uh, you know, a playlist in our YouTube feed as well. Um, so, uh, but and we have here a book, uh, which I've mentioned before. Uh, it's called Nat Boys. It's uh, written by Rick Peacock Edwards and Tom Eels and uh, Rick has very kindly signed it for us as well. So, uh, the question from last week was, during their military careers, Rick and Nick were based at two different RAF stations at the same time in the UK, which is where they originally met. And the question is, what two RAF stations were they? The answer is RAF Lucas and RAF Valley. And Carlos now has the... Random generator called his cap. I was, and he I was going out. to just
0: pop that on the fire
1: there. Uh, yeah, well, don't do that. Otherwise, no, no, well, it um, burn the answers. In so, there,
0: you have the correct answers, don't you? Yes, you, you can probably see yeah. I've got the answers in yep. here. I'm going to be pulling one out. I'm going to look away. I'm going to turn away. I'm going to pull all these, num- these numbers here. There's one here. Look, a name there, a name there. And we're going to pull out this name. Hold on. Let me put my hat down somewhere. Moment of high attention Make sure I don't knock the slide the faders here. No, don't do that. There we go. Uh, and the winner of the signed book there, if you can
1: see that on the camera, it's Richard Adams. Is Richard Adams? Well, what a player! Excellent. So, Richard, well done, uh, Richard. Give me a quick favour. Send me your address, and I will post you this book tomorrow. Uh, now, bit of a postal strike at the moment, so. You might not get it before Christmas, but I'll do my best. Uh, I will send you a copy of the sign book uh, from Rick. Um, well done, and thanks very much indeed to everybody that entered the competition. So, yeah, that'll be on its way to you tomorrow, sir. Well done. Ah, oh, well,
0: well done, Richard. Well done. Yes. You see, if you if you play, you win. That's it's one of those things. Get the questions right. We did have we did have a few incorrect answers, didn't we, Nev? Yes, oh, the...
1: uh, and wh- one of them is my one of my. Good friends as well that uh, came up with an incorrect answer. I had to tell him that he, he that was not the correct answer. I had to do a, a Ken Bruce on him, you know. So, uh, but there we go. So, but uh, anyone can enter this. So anyone that's uh, listening on uh, the podcast itself, uh, the download, or the YouTube live, uh, whatever, and uh, it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in. We'll, we'll post uh, books to wherever you are in the world to your home address
0: very true
1: and another book coming up very
0: soon so uh, keep your eyes on the show now for those of you who may not know may not uh, know this uh, is our last live show of uh, 2022 i know i'm sorry guys and girls but it is our last show of 2022 Uh, we'll be back on the 6th of january with live show starting again Uh, but we still have two more great shows to go this year so don't go anywhere we're going to be releasing our christmas special which we uh just very recently recorded with special guests uh on the on the show and that's going to be hopefully all being well mm, excuse me will be released on christmas day so when when the kids are busy um throwing toys around your room or your uh your wife is busy throwing pigs and blankets across the kitchen you can move into the front room or your office and put uh, PTUK on and watch our special Christmas show. Loads of fun we had in that as well. And uh, also in the Christmas show, uh, we have got a very special competition as well in the Christmas show to win some fantastic playing tags, um, uh, which are are quite... distinct plain tags i think on mm. not they nev so you've yeah. got a chance of winning those that'll be in the christmas show the questions will be in the christmas show as well all the details will be in the christmas show uh, so make sure you stay tuned to that uh, on christmas day and then we've got uh, one more show after that before we end the new year or end the year i should say and start the new year back on the 6th of january so nev social media links, just in case anyone has lost us
1: in the ether. Yes, if you didn't know uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram were all on those platforms, just search for Plain Talking UK uh, our WhatsApp number, plus plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. that's plus plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. you can email the show, podcast at com, and our website is all the W's, Plain Talking UK Dot com. Our YouTube channel, of course, is uh, got a lot of content on there. All the shows and some uh, special playlists of the interviews that we've done. And you'll get notifications when we go live, of course, as well. Just search for Plain Talking UK uh, in YouTube.com uh, on the. On our website, there is an Amazon link. So if you do your shopping through Amazon, uh, we get paid a small referral fee if you would like to do that through our website. Uh, Just look for the Amazon link on our website. Also, if you would like to help support the show, which many of you do, and we're very grateful for it, uh, there's Patreon and PayPal opportunities as well for you to do so. Just have a look at the website, and you'll find the details on there. But uh, hard to believe, isn't it, Carlos? It's the last live show Life of the show. year and um, where, where
0: the heck has the year gone <laughs> y- the year the year is flown by nev we've, we've had a really good year this year yeah. um especially with the interviews especially that um, that you and nick uh, went out and done have been fantastic well received as well um so big uh, congratulations on your hard work on those uh, nev you've done very well indeed
1: well, thanks, and it's it's everybody's efforts that goes into these things. And um, we'll be having one of our meetings early in the new year to discuss what air shows we're going to try and cover, what interviews we would like to do, and if you've got any um, uh, things that you'd like us to cover, perhaps next year, drop us a line as well because we're interested in getting your feedback as to the kind of things you would like us to to see us do mm. uh, within certain limitations, obviously. Podcast UK dot com. If you'd like to send us some uh, suggestions as to some of the content you'd like to see us do next year. Now, don't forget the
0: military mugs, the grey mugs, are on the website now for you to purchase. As we said at the top of the show, uh, there's been quite a few flying off the shelves um, into people's homes soon hopefully um, if you do order one uh, now bear in mind that we have got uh, issues in the uk at the moment with uh, with the various postal services here so they may take a little longer to get to you uh, if you're ordering them in here in the uk to be delivered in the uk uh, but we'll try and get them out to you as soon as we can uh, if you order your military grey mug or your p2k mug as well all available on the website as well as our glorious cotton t-shirts with the embroidered logos that are still available on the website if you've not already grabbed one of those we'll get them out to you as soon as we can so That is uh, where we're going to start to wrap up episode number 438 of the show. Thanks to everyone in the chat room who's joined us this evening. Thanks to everyone for tuning in and watching us do the live show. It's our last show, as we said, of 2022, uh, but we'll be back uh, next year with a fresh show on the 6th of January. And don't forget that Christmas show uh, coming up on Christmas Day with the chance to win some awesome awesome plane tags you honestly when you guys see them you will very much enjoy the plane tags because there are some quite interesting tags we've got on offer as prizes uh, there so more info on that on the christmas show so that's it then thanks for all our audio downloaders of the show and uh, everyone who has uh, tuned in as well don't forget to uh, stay tuned to p2k and uh, join us next year for more great content on the show so nev i'm going to hand things over to you to uh, Well, to, to end tonight's final live show of 2022.
1: Well, thanks, Carlos. Yeah, I just want to say to everybody, thanks ever so much indeed for being such loyal viewers and listeners throughout the year. I mean, we 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 really couldn't do it without you uh, being there and for those that contribute as well. We're really grateful for all that. So that's been absolutely fantastic. Where has the year gone? It's just gone so quickly this year, hasn't it? But uh, we shall be back for the Christmas special and for our uh, next live show, which will be on the 6th of January. In the meantime, from Carlos and myself, I hope you have a great weekend. And a fantastic Christmas and New Year. All the very best. Bye for now.
0: Bye.